Welcome to the women's Bible study at Redemption Arcadia. Hopefully we'll fix that. Thank you for being here today. We're just going to do this for a moment, and then I'll fix it. Uh, This is our last session of this particular study of Jesus, Jesus and the women he loved. And so this is our eighth week of this. If you missed any of the weeks... You can go back and check it out online on our podcast. Uh, If you search Arcadia Congregation, uh, wherever you get podcasts, uh, you can can find our whole history of studies from this this study as well as other things. Thank you, Steph. Appreciate that. That's way better. Uh, We want to let you know that uh, there is a new uh, leadership team that will be carrying the torch from here, and there's a meeting for that just after this last study today. So if you're a part of that, we would love to have you uh, participate with that. Just after the study, there'll be light snacks and drinks served at that meeting. Hope to last about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, We also want to let you know that there will be a lunch coming up April 18th, just after church on Sunday, April 18th. And that is going to be a fun time for the women's ministry. Stephanie Shoemate is the point person for that. Steph, wave your hand there. Yeah. And Steph uh, will be leading the charge on that event. And so thank you, Steph, for that. And those that will participate in that, it's super exciting. There will also be some summer gatherings, though it probably won't be what it's like as a weekly thing here, but there will be some summer gatherings as well. And that the point person for that is Sarah Jansen. So Sarah, wave your hand there. Yeah which is also super exciting. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate that. Um, Snacks today provided by Cheryl Johansson. Thank you, Cheryl. Really appreciate that. Yes, super cool. Um, Also, it's just a fun name to say, Johansson, Cheryl Johansson. It's a good name to say. Let us read. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. So it's a long text. And, uh, but, but it's worthwhile for our time today. So would you stand and we'll read this together and then Malia will lead us in worship as well. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You can read with me if you want. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. For as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Lord, we are thankful to you for these inexpressible gifts that you give. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, our Father above. And so, Lord, we praise you today for your generosity, your graciousness to us. And Lord, may uh, we be, uh, since you have been a blessing to us, may we bless others. Uh, We pray that um, as you have originally said to Abraham, that that you would uh, bless all nations through his seed. Well, Christ is that seed. And Lord, we are blessed because of you, Christ. And so pray that I pray that you would make us a blessing as well. God, be with us as we worship you, as we pray, as we discuss, as we look at your word. And would you be glorified through all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Malia, thank you.
the time of worship that we've been able to share each week. Um, I thank you that somehow you work through everything um, to bring it all together and to bring it back to you. And um, I just thank you for that theme throughout scripture, that theme throughout this study. Um, I thank you for Tyler and leading us um, and the rest of the team, those that have served us with bringing snacks. And um, Jesus, I just thank you for bringing everybody that um, every week you um, sometimes plan things like this and don't know who's going to show up. And I thank you for bringing um, an abundance of people um, each week. So we just thank you for being good. We thank you for being who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for leading us, Malia, in worship. Uh, We have an opportunity to serve, and Michelle Hutchins, this is Michelle Hutchins, she's going to tell you guys about it. I think many of you have met Michelle, and she and Andrea Hamilton have been working on an idea for an outreach service project. So, Michelle, will you tell us about it? So, our first project for outreach is with Alongside Ministries. So, in the back there are some wonderful Easter cards that both our kids' ministry and the church have provided. The inmates are both male and female, so when you pick up your card and you write a um, word of encouragement, just know that you're writing it to an individual. Um, And don't worry about male or female, just... um, Uh, word of encouragement. Our second outreach would be to Hope Women's Center. And there's several throughout the um, Arizona area. And they are a crisis center for women, but they refer out. So if a woman in crisis comes to their organization, that's their first point okay, of, of help. And then they will refer them out based on what their needs are. And this center is an amazing center. It's a nonprofit run by a Christian organization. And we are going, they're going to be our outreach for June, July, and August. June, we are going to be collecting diapers. Diapers fly off the shelves. Some of these women have as many as seven children. Size three, I hear in particularly, is the most needed. So that will be our June outreach is a diaper drive. July will be personal hygiene packets, and we'll have a list of all the personal hygiene items that are needed. And then August, my personal favorite, is for backpacks, everything needed for backpacks. The majority of the kids are elementary age and middle school age, so the um, supplies will be that age group. There are very few teenagers, um, so it's mostly middle school and elementary school. So those are our outreaches, and you'll be hearing more about them as the months go by. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle, for that. Exciting to have the church doing uh, service work like that, so thanks for helping us coordinate that. All right. Well, I thought that we would take just a couple of minutes to, to look back at sort of where we've been in this eight weeks, and I wondered if you would think of a couple of things that have jumped out at you during the course of this study. Uh, what are some things that have stood out to you? Malia mentioned just the fact of God's unending, unmerited love that he has for us, that we, we don't deserve, but that he gives freely anyway. What are some things that have jumped out at you, or maybe some of the interactions that he had with women along the way that stick out in your mind? Anybody mind sharing something? Would you? Yeah, it really impressed me how Jesus was so slow 
and really not going fast through life was stop, would, would look at somebody in the eye, would touch them or address them. But especially with women who were lower class and would not even thought of, he really made, it, I think, a point of showing how much he loved them. And it just really touched me, and especially to call the one that touched him that was bleeding, daughter. Mm-hmm. Just the beauty in that and just addressing that and stopping in the middle of going to another healing. It was an interruption in his plan and how we don't like to be interrupted. And I'm thinking, then we miss out. And that just really had an impact on me. Mm, beautiful. I love that. We are often so busy that to see that example of him slowing down and being present is really helpful. Yeah, what else? Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think it's tenderness. What would you say? I think his tenderness stands out to me with each um, scenario that we've seen him interact with the women. Um, he was so tender to them. Um, even Mary, when she complaining, Lord, you know, I'm doing all the work and look what my sister's doing. I mean, he was still so tender to her. So mm. the tenderness stands out. It's good. It's good. What else? Don't be afraid. It's a safe place. I think um, tenderness is really close to what I was thinking, but the first word I thought of was compassion and how Jesus was just driven with compassion. It says every time he looked at the crowds, he was filled with compassion or moved with compassion. And um, it's encouraging to know that like that's from Jesus and the compassion that should be stirred in us should lead to a response, just as he was always led to a response driven from compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. There are so many places where, where he's saying, as I've loved you, love one another. Um, as, since you have received much, give much. There's, there's sort of this continuation of his ministry through the church in a way that's really beautiful. Anything else? Anybody else have something come to mind? Is it you? Yeah. yeah. I was looking the other way. <laughs> uh, I was struck by the fact that Jesus had women and elevated them to positions in his ministry that was fairly countercultural. Mm-hmm. Women were second class and he wrapped them right into his ministry. They supported him. They were the ones at the cross when all the disciples, you know, split and so he <laughs> and they were I was just reading that passage this morning and mm-hmm. it's just amazing that uh, the Lord valued women and held them in high regard mm-hmm. and culture today will often say, well, you know, why aren't there more women in leadership in the Bible? And yet it's throughout the New Testament, um, Mm -hmm. if you just read the words that are there. Yeah, that's good. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think the, there, there is that encouragement that women were the last at the crucifixion and the first at the resurrection. And, and indeed Jesus was consistently elevating and lifting up women in a way that was countercultural, um, and to do the work of Christ um, was available to men and women in a way that was really profound. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. I didn't cut anybody off, right? Everybody done sharing? Anybody else want want to say something? All right, great.
Well, I too have been impressed by these things that you've mentioned uh, with Jesus. And I love studying the Gospels because we get such a clear picture of who God is in, the, in, in what Jesus did and who he was in his ministry. And I'm so thankful for how his, his interactions led towards repentance, his in, interactions led towards uh, obedience, his interactions led towards worship and praise, uh, his interactions led towards a proclamation of who he was. Like Malia mentioned earlier that, that so many of these things, receiving his love and his kindness uh, led to a response of praise and of going and telling others about who he was. So there's a lot of ways that people respond in, to Jesus' love and his kindness, his healing, um, even his correction and his rebuking. Uh, there, there are times where that can really divide the people in a way where it, you're either with him or you're not uh, based on these interactions. And that choice remains live for us today. I want to add to that today this idea in this passage about the woman who gave the, the, the mite, right? The, the, the two coins, is that what it was? We'll, we'll get there. Um, there's a response here to who Jesus is and what he has done that this woman gives all that she has in response. And so part of what I'd like to look at today is we've, we've, we've talked about what it is to respond in obedience. We've talked about what it is to respond in, in praise. Now this passage is, is looking at what does it mean to, to really give our, all that we have to him. And there, it really is an indication in scripture that, that our, our sacrifice to the Lord is to give our very selves to him. And in a, in a sense, that's what's happening in this passage. It's, it's, it's giving everything that we have back to the Lord and not holding on to any of it for, for ourselves. This can be a hard thing for us. Um, and in this passage in particular, it is talking about giving money, giving finances. And I think that that's not the only thing, obviously, that Jesus cares about, but it's a symbol of something deeper, right? Like, like many of these other situations that we've looked at, the physical healing led to a spiritual healing, or, or the spiritual healing happened and then the physical healing was, a, was released. Uh, there's a tie here as well that in Jesus doesn't just want our money, but the money is oftentimes a, a, a symbol of uh, what's going on in our heart, right? And there's, there's, there's something about money that gets right to the heart of the matter with what our posture is towards him. I think it's why Jesus says in another place, you can't serve God and mammon. Uh, mammon there is, is not only money, but it's sort of like the spirit of having things. Um, Jesus understands that, that our heart posture towards money is going to be really emblematic of what our heart posture is towards him. And if we hold on to it, if we hold on to the things that we have, it's, we are not able to actually serve that end and him at the same time. And many of you probably have been in experiences in your life where that's been a very real thing, uh, where there's a temptation to run after having stuff rather than holding on to Christ. And so I love this passage. It's just a sweet little way to end our time and our study together. So it's in Mark 12. 
Yeah, this is typically known as the widow's mite, but she actually put uh, two two copper coins. It was the the, the equivalent of like a like a penny. Um, so Mark chapter twelve, verses forty one through forty four. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So it's a short, shorter passage for us today, um, but I also want to tie it in a little bit to what we read at the beginning in 2 Corinthians 9. So I'm, I'm blown away by even the first sentence of this this text, which says that Jesus sat down and watched people putting money in the offering box, because that is not something that we would consider appropriate today, right? (laughs) This Sunday, I want one of you to sit by the offering box and watch people put money into the offering box. How awkward, right? And so from the beginning of this text, there's, uh, it, it blows away sort of any cultural norms that we have. Uh, with today. And I don't know if there were people that were sitting watching the offering box at that time either. Um, but there's an audacity here be- that, that Jesus can do this because he's Jesus and that we wouldn't necessarily get away with. Um, it's not a good look for a pastor to sit by the offering box. And so Jesus, though, sits down and is watching people as they're putting money into the box. I think that uh, there's some cultural things here that are just helpful for us to address. One, one is we, we can, um, the, very re, the very nature of the fact that we are awkward about offering speaks to the power that money has over us, right? It, it has that kind of a power over us and it's awkward because we actually elevate money to a place higher than it should be. There's not really any reason that, that offering should be awkward. Like, really? Um, And yet, we go to, like, extremes with it. Either, on the one hand, we say, oh, no, no, I can't can't ever know who's giving what. Which which is generally a pretty good practice for for pastors. Like, it's generally a pretty good practice is not to track who's giving what. Um, However, that, that is an extreme thing where generosity in the church is a very good thing. So for us to say, oh, no, 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 I don't, want to, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything about anybody that's giving anything at all. It, it really is an extreme on one side where, it, where the fact that it's awkward for us or the fact that we feel like we need to see no evil, hear no evil, touch no evil, it, the, we've elevated money by, by having that kind of a legality to it, if that makes sense. But there's another extreme on the other side, on, on the complete other side, which is that um, there are some traditions uh, where... Where, where folks have, have actually been very showy about what, what, what is, is being given. Uh, to, to make, and, and the scripture addresses this, right? Be careful not to give your alms in front of men. 
so there's another side of that where we can go all the way to this, this extreme and where we make a, like a show of, of, of the offering. And, and that's a way of lifting it also. Both extremes are a way of lifting money in a way that it just shouldn't be lifted in the church, right? So somewhere in there in the middle is this sort of observation that Jesus does here in this passage. Where, where because he's Jesus, he's able to observe in a way that doesn't elevate money, right? And it's just, it's just fascinating to me that, that he's able to pull this off. So he's watching people putting, putting money into the offering box, and many rich people put in large sums. Now, I've heard people teach on this passage saying um, that using this, this to denigrate rich folks, but actually... I don't think that that's what's being said here. There's not any scolding of Jesus. Jesus is not scolding wealthy people for putting money in the offering box. In fact, there, there are a number of places in the scripture that encourage people of means to be giving to the local ministry. So there's not a scolding of what's going on there. But again, it's, it's observation. It's care, careful observation where Jesus is stating the truth of what's happening without elevating money to, to, a, to a place of being an idol. There are, there are people with lots of means that are putting large sums of money in, but that's not what impressed Jesus, right? So in other words, though there were people of means giving out of their means, and that's a good thing, there's, there's no denigration there, that's a good thing, but that's not what Jesus chose to teach on in, in, in relationship to money. That's not what he chose to spend his time on. What, what impressed him was this woman coming and giving two small copper coins. And a poor woman, verse 42, came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And this was the woman that he wanted to focus on for his teaching. This was what he saw that he wanted to call his disciples over for to, to, to focus on. And I love that. And I love that. Again, I don't believe that Jesus is denigrating the large sums that are being given, but he's drawing attention to the faith and, and response of obedience that this woman has. Again, he's lifting up this woman, right? Most folks, if, <laughs> if we had somebody watching the offering on a Sunday morning, like some of you are going to do this Sunday, we <laughs> not it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have seen before kids coming up and putting in quarters, right? And, and it's generally like, oh, that's cute. Like, like oh, that's, I love that you're doing that. You know, it's, it's cute. Uh, but it's not something that's like um, groundbreaking or that where we stop the presses to tell the story. But it was for this woman. And, and, it, and it teaches me that like those moments where those kids are given the, their quarters, is a beautiful thing that honors Jesus and forms a heart that is willing to give. I, I, love, uh, I love it when I see churches in kids' ministry uh, have, have kids doing, doing an offering you know, thing where all, all semester they're, they're collecting their change, you know, and at the end of the semester they've got $6.72, you know, and it's, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful because it's forming the heart of God's people in a way that is incredible. Um, and I think about how the, the scripture also teaches that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much, right? So, 
So there's a way that God's forming his people in this to where the heart posture can lead to what God, to what honors God. So he calls the disciples over and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Uh, a penny more than anybody else has given. His teaching is always so mind-blowing because I just, I just don't think this way. Yeah, but what about all those previously that just put in huge amounts of money? Because we're thinking about quantity. We're thinking about sort of what that money will buy in this world. You know, you can't, you can't get anything for a penny in this world. Like, you know that today they're talking about doing away with the penny because it's worthless. That's crazy to me. But in our society, it's worthless. So they're talking about just doing away with it, that it's, it won't make anymore, that it can't be used anymore, the penny's gone. Uh, I'm not a financier. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't know what effect that would have on our, on our money, and so whatever. I have no comment there. But it's, it's amazing to me that something that we would consider worthless now is, is what Jesus is saying has been given the most of all. And it's because our minds go to, what can I get from that? What, what, what can I receive? A, a penny can't get me anything. Charlotte took um, a bunch of candy to, to school yesterday. At, they, they do homeschool. They do classical conversations um, with Anne's grandkids, actually, at the same place, and, and Sarah's kids. Um, and so Charlotte brought a bunch of candy yesterday, and, and she's like, I'm going to sell this candy, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I love what you're thinking about, you know? Like, like a little businesswoman, it's great. Um, so she had this little box, and, you know, she's telling me, I'm going to do, you know, 15 cents for this one and two for 25 for, you know, for this one. And so she had this great plan, and I just thought it was awesome. Um, and they're all talking about doing, like, lemonade stands and stuff, too. I mean, it's just really fun. Anyway, she, she, she got home yesterday, and I said, how did it go? selling the, the candy, and she goes, well, nobody brought their money. <laughs> no, 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 nobody, nobody had any money with them. And I, and I was like, so, did, so did, you, uh, did you give them away? And she goes, yeah, I did, I gave them away. You know? And I was like, that's awesome. Like, like, it's just a cool little experience, right? And, uh, and she goes, but the boys told me they would bring their money next week. <laughs> Which was awesome, so... Uh, there's something, there's something with that. I didn't feel like Charlotte was being greedy in that moment. I didn't feel like she's just trying to, she's just trying to understand how it works. There was sort of like just a careful observation of, of how the, what the money is, is for. It's, 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 it's used uh, in a way that we can trade goods. It's used in a way that we can interact with one another. There was a real social com- component there that, that, that Charlotte had with, with her friends. And I just see so much of that happening here where Jesus is reorienting our mind to what the purpose behind the money is in the first place. And, and we don't want to elevate it to what, to what it shouldn't be. We want to use it for what it is used for. And at the end of the day, um, God gives resources so that we might use it for his glory and for our good. Like, like anything else. Like anything else. The, the things that God brings to us is a way that uh, is, are things that are used for our good and for his glory. And 
And we run into trouble when it becomes anything other than that. So he calls the disciples over and says, uh, this woman's put in more than all those who are contributing. And then he explains it. So I love that he explains it here because oftentimes Jesus does not explain things. Like, if you've re- like in, the, in, the, in the stories that you see where he's giving parables, where he's teaching to religious people, uh, he oftentimes a- answers a question with another question. Uh, he does not explain things all that often. And I love that here he does. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. In other words, in terms of what resources have been given, she's given the most away. And I, and I love that, that Jesus chooses to, to note for his disciples this economy of God that is different than the economy that we, that, that we have. Um, so I, wanted to, I want to, co- to connect this now to what, to what we read at the very beginning. So if you go back to the first page of your, your handout... That, that there's an intention in 2 Corinthians 9 that where, where Paul is understanding this dynamic that we've just seen with the widow's might. And he's helping to understand, helping us to understand more about what God has in, in, in mind here. And it's saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, in other words, that... that the money becomes sort of, or the, the way that we receive and give, uh, it's, it's as though we're conduits of God's blessing rather than, rather than like a, a piggy bank, right? So a conduit is something that, that flows, it has stuff flow through it, right? Uh, I think what God's intending is for his people to be conduits, of his blessing, of his flavor, uh, of his favor, maybe his flavor too, his, his, his favor, his blessing, his, uh, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Uh, God intends in his abundance to give to us in a way that, that it would flow, th- flow right through us to others. And that's just an amazing, amazing thing that there, there should be no sort of like off on switch in our in our, in our pipeline. Like, there's not really a need for us to hold on to stuff. And, and, and certainly there, there's, there's a uh, biblical teaching for, for saving. There's a biblical teaching for, for gathering. There's a biblical teaching for um, investing. There, all of those things are true. But what we find is that the general posture isn't one that, 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 that stores up for ourselves on this earth. So many scriptures coming to mind. Here's why. Because the Bible actually teaches a lot about money. It really does. And we oftentimes are afraid of teaching about it or talking about it because we've elevated it. And so that's why I love that we started with Jesus observing because in many ways, we ought to be able to observe, like he does, with our minds renewed by Christ, with our passions uh, replaced by God's desires, and etc. So there's a, a, a sense here where we want to reap bountifully, or we sow bountifully so that we can reap bountifully. But the emphasis isn't on the reap so that we can reap. 
The, the emphasis is just on the, because God, because, because God sows abundantly, we want to be people that sow abundantly also. So we want to be like him in that. And then there's a, a teaching there that in verse 7 that about being a cheerful giver, that God wants us to be a people who are not giving reluctantly. Uh, we're not, again, we're not like sort of under compulsion or, well, I have to do this again today. Um, but rather that our lifestyle is one of that generosity so that it overflows to everybody around us and, and including the local ministry in a way that is a beautiful thing. God is able to make all grace abound to you, um, having all sufficiency. In other words, um, sufficiency, when it's sufficient, sufficient, that means you've had enough. Like you have enough that you need to have, right? Uh, if God has all sufficiency and he's given that to you, meaning that you always have all that you need. And this is a hard thing for us because we oftentimes feel like we need more. Our definition of what is sufficient is oftentimes very different than what God's definition is about sufficiency, right? We tend to have different ideas about what is sufficient. In fact, for us, it's usually a little bit more and then, and then I'll be sufficient. But that little bit more, the goalposts goal always move. Like a little bit more is, a, I can't use a football analogy, I'm sorry. How many football fans? Oh, I can use a football. Okay, good. The goalposts always. Are the, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, good, good, good. I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. That was kind of a sexist thing to say, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I apologize. Um, I apologize. I, I know women like football. All sports. All sports. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There were, there were at least four, though. There were at least four. That's good. Um, our definition of sufficiency is often different than his, where, we, where we, we usually think it's a little bit more. Just a little bit more, and then I'll be happy. A little bit more, and then I'll be happy. But that little bit more never does what we think it's going to do. What's that? When is it ever enough? When is it ever enough? That's right. So then the, the text in 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. I like that word freely there. That, that, that there, he's not holding back on us at all. And I think that was, you know, back to the Garden of Evil. Or Garden of, yeah, it was Garden of Evil after it. Garden of Eden. Uh, one, one of the things that the snake convinced Adam and Eve of is that God was holding out on them. Right? That, that what about this tree? God's, there's something good here that God's not given you. And we can see how that has continued to, to uh, be a thorn in our side. It's continued to be a real problem for us in our posture towards, towards money or towards things. Is that God, we, we think God's holding out on us still. We think we have a better idea of what we deserve than God does. And that's at the heart of, of the fall of man. Is that we question God's goodness and what he's given. But he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's all kinds of talk here um, about seed. And uh, I have very little experience with seeds. The very little experience that I have with seeds is with um, marigolds. Do you guys know marigolds? Like, there are so many seeds with marigolds. And it's really, 
easy to multiply marigolds if you've ever done that. It's almost like a weed, right? Or maybe it is a weed, technically, I don't know. It's a beautiful looking weed if it is. Um, when I started planting, and I, I, when we lived in Santa Barbara, it was like this almost tropical climate, and so it was like super easy to grow anything. And so I, I would do like arugula and tomatoes and things like that and, and marigolds and et cetera. Um, it was super fun. And I'm not a botanist and I'm not very good at it, but, but it, I just, it's fun. And so I like the seed thing because you never really run out of seeds with marigolds. There's just so many of them that it's really easy to, to reproduce the marigold. When I got to um, Phoenix and tried to plant things, it didn't work as much. And so I realized that it was not that I was just really good at planting seeds, but that it, <laughs> that it has something to do with the, the, the climate and the soil and all of that. Any, anyhow, there's, a, there's an idea or an image in verse 10 here that, that God doesn't run out of seeds. There's, there's always enough seeds uh, in God's kingdom. And there's a teaching other, uh, in other places that you know of about the mustard seed, the, par- the parable of the mustard seed, that mu- mustard seed that starts small and then grows into this beautiful, beautiful tree. If God doesn't ever run out of seeds, then he no- never runs out of trees. And if he never runs out of trees, then he never runs out of fruit. He's got, he's got all that, he, that, that we need. And, and I think that that is all, also something that Satan likes to tempt us with in thinking that, that we don't have enough because God doesn't have enough. But the teaching in scripture is that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that, that he, he's, he, he never runs out of seeds, that there's always going to be seeds, trees, and fruit in God's kingdom. So in verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's sort of a mindset here where we say, God, um, there's a legitimate prayer here where you can pray, God, would you give more so that I can give more? I mean, that's not a bad thing to pray. I, I think that there's a, a prayer that is tainted there where it's like, God, can you give me more so, and then when you give me more, then I'll give more. That's, that's, a, that's a twisting of that, right? But the prayer that says, God, uh, I, want, I want to be able to be generous like you're generous. Will you continue to provide the needs? That's a, I think that's a legitimate prayer for the believer. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, there's a, a sense where as God continues to pour his blessings on us, it overflows to the people, and then the praises go back up to God. And, and so God's actually the beginning and the end of that cycle. Isn't that cool? By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel in Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. In other words, this is actually a natural outworking of what the gospel does in the life of people. The reason Paul brings it back to the gospel like like he does all the time is that it all stems from the fact that that Christ has given to us a gift that is beyond anything that we could ever earn. That, that he has by his work on the cross and the resurrection, that he has already done for us what is priceless. And so all of the other, all of the other question around uh, generosity and, and giving and supplying needs is an outworking of the gospel. And what God has done. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace God of, of, 
of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And that's the conclusion of the matter, which is that we can't express what it is that God has done for us on the cross through his death and his resurrection. We can't express what all the things that God has given to us through his generosity and his abundance. We will never know the depths of that because um, we're not God. And yet God calls us into this sort of like cycle of being conduits for his blessing, which I'm really thankful for. So I thought this was a, a, a fun one to end on. Um, in many ways, it's less heavy than some of the other ones because it, it, it's not dealing with sort of like the sickness and, the, and the, the healing that we've been talking about in a lot of the cases. Uh, but, in, but in other ways, it's, it's heavier for us because it's, it's harder for us. Like this idea of what to do with money and what our posture is towards money can be a very hard conversation for us. And it can hit, it, hit to the heart of, of a lot of hangups that we have with God and with other people. Um, but I appreciate that, that Jesus, in his continual lifting up of people that are not considered in positions of, of, of privilege in the New Testament, God is lifting folks up in a way that is bringing glory back to God. So it's never for the sake of that person only, right? It's, it is for, for the sake of that person, but as a way of pointing back to God. So I love this, this loop here, that God gives us, give, gives us all good things. Uh, through, the, through the gospel, we have become those who would become blessings to others, that as God has been a blessing to us, that will be a blessing to others. And then all of us then pray, give praise back to God for this beautiful thing that he's done. And I love that circle. What I'd like to do at this point is just discuss uh, a couple of final sort of series things. It'll just take two minutes and then we'll go to discussion and prayer. The personal nature of what we've seen from Jesus in this eight weeks is something that I think is taken for granted by us believers today because we don't have the same kind of personal experience that we see here, at least not physically all the time, right? We're not interacting with Jesus physically in this way that, that is the proximity of Christ in these passages can often be like, oh, I wish I was there. I wish, I, I wish that I would have, I wish that I, that I would have been able to reach out and grab his cloak. I wish, I wish that uh, I would have been able to awkwardly give an offering while he's watching me. I wish that I would have been able to um, be healed of this thing that I'm struggling with. And there can be a tendency for us to feel like he's more distant now. But I, I want to conclude by saying that, that not even Jesus taught that. Je Jesus said, it's better that I go. It's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit comes. So something here, and, and it doesn't mean that, okay, well, we don't need him anymore. Because we long for the day that we will see him face to face. But he did say, it's better for you that I go. So the Holy Spirit, the, the great comforter, the great counselor will come and, and live in you. So the personal nature of God doesn't go away with the ascension of Jesus, right? In fact, there is a 
an even more personal way that God now dwells in us and we dwell in him in a way that is even, even more personal than what many of these people got to experience. Many of these folks didn't have, or, or, or these folks, uh, as far as we can tell, didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until Pentecost, right? So Jesus, I, I don't want us to feel like Jesus is somehow more impersonal now. Jesus said this is better for us, that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell in us. And then we long for the day that we get to see him face to face and be with him in a way that it will blow our minds, right? So let me pray for us, and then there's discussion here. Thank you so much for having been a part of this series, you all. Really appreciate you. Uh, and you can discuss at tables and then, and then pr- conclude in prayer as well. Lord, thank you for uh, these, this per- the personal nature of the relationship that you have with us. We're so thankful for the indwelling of your spirit, uh, that we can walk in your company by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would allow for us to respond to who you are and what you've done by giving all that we have to you, that we would respond to you uh, with obedience and praise and worship uh, and giving of our resources, uh, that you would be glorified in us, your church, and that all these things would be done for uh, our good and your glory. And pray now as there's discussions and prayer around the table that you'd be glorified in this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen.